0: I remember reading an article in Scientific American years ago about how poster of someone looking in the direction of the viewer of the poster would make those viewers less likely to litter in a dining hall. I think this was at a college in the United Kingdom. I remember thinking to myself, man, that's that's relatively ridiculous. Uh, the fact that human beings work that way, that's kind of a silly and novel thing to do in terms of holding people accountable by giving them this illusion of being But as it turns out, there's a lot more serious consequences to ensuring people's behavior change, and one of them is in the domain of medicine. There's a major issue with uh, folks who are given medical regimens to take medications or perform specific actions, whether it be exercises or a certain amount of sleep or what have you, and non-adherence to those medical guidelines uh, can can result in recidivism and, and can result in more serious medical concerns or even death. Corey Kidd is the CEO of Catalia Health. He's quite well known for his work at MIT and human robotic interaction. He's working on a company where they're developing a robot that adds a little bit of that physical accountability, that physical presence combined with artificial intelligence to help encourage people to adhere to their medical regimen, specifically, in the case of today's talk, uh, around taking your medicine. Something that for the elderly or for people who feel kind of begrudgingly, disappointed about their medical condition in the first place is often a lot harder than just telling them to take it, as Corey goes into in detail. A very novel application of AI. Uh, It was actually a friend of mine, Joanne Pransky, who said, you have to meet Corey Kidd. So glad I got to shake hands with him and get in this interview. I hope you all enjoy this one. So first and foremost, Corey, I know I really want to get into a look at the applications of artificial intelligence in healthcare and medicine broadly The domain that you're working on, which really has to do with uh, behavior change and and kind of adherence to medical guidelines for patients, uh, is, is an application of artificial intelligence that few people consider at the top of their list when they think about AI in medicine. Give us a breakdown of what your company is working on now and why you considered it enough uh, enough of an AI problem to build a whole company around.
1: Sure. So let me start with the answer to the
0: first question, which is we sure. tackle the related challenges of medication adherence
1: and chronic disease management. Yep. Uh, For many people, these can be one and the same. Chronic disease management is a little more broad. But if we look across these spaces, you know, one thing we see if we are a technologist and looking from a technology perspective at this problem, the first thing most people see is people forget to take their pills. I can send them a reminder. And when you actually get into the space and understand what's going on, One of the things that you'll learn is that the challenges for most people have nothing to do with forgetting and remembering. Medication adherence, medical adherence, more broadly, chronic disease management has very little to do with forgetting or remembering what to do. Hmm. It's all those other challenges that add up. And when we think about the complexity of that, I think that's actually the perfect opportunity for actually using technology but in a much deeper sense than giving someone a reminder on their smartphone or a uh, pill bottle cap that's going to send a message to someone to take their pill it's about understanding the complexity of what's going on with that person understanding how we talk to them and talk them through that situation and in my mind that's something that ai actually can lend itself to quite readily
0: at Catalia Health, this is, you know, the, the adherence problem, which, as you'd mentioned, is much deeper than simply forgetting to take pills, involves a physical manifestation of a little robot, which sort of acts as a personification of, of I suppose, the doctor's orders in some sense, in some kind of personable sense. I imagine that this, Corey, is chipping away at some of those other factors that you had mentioned that are not just sort of remembering what are some of the other kind of factors in this jungle of incentives and reminders and reasons why someone might not take their medication or, or do as the doctor orders?
1: Let me come to that, but let me actually talk about uh, your implied question
0: about the robot for a second. Go for it. Which is, you know, obviously what we're focused on is medicine
1: and helping people you know, better treatment, better, uh, you know, management of the disease, a lot of things related to that. Uh, Clearly, there's AI and a lot of deep technology involved. And I have a feeling we'll talk more about that in the next few minutes. But where we really start is with psychology, and in particular, two kinds of psychology, psychology of relationships, and a psychology of behavior change. So in the first, it's, you know, how do we as people create, build up and maintain relationships over time. And the second, the behavioral side of it, how do we choose the right technique to use with an individual at that point in time? And where the robot comes in is really in that first one, which is, you know, if we think about it, we would have sat and had this interview face to face. And, you know, people who are listening, this is a great way to hear interviews from a lot of different people, but if you could, you'd sit down face to face with yep. each of those people. And why do you do that? It makes a difference when you're face to face. And what we know is those differences carry over into the world of technology. In other words, putting that robot there, something that can literally look you in the eyes while it's talking <laughs> to you, gives you a lot of those effects of face-to-face conversation. And so that leads me then to the question that you actually asked about what are these other factors? And some of it just has to do with, you know, I need someone there to kind of help me through it. And there are a lot of reasons for that, right? So we talked about, you know, forgetting and remembering not being the big thing. A lot of it comes down to, you know, things around disease state progression. So if we take some of the areas that we're working in, cancers or immunological conditions, the disease itself is
0: bad. Right? No one's going to argue with that. It's nope. going to do bad things to us over time.
1: But maybe in the short term, it's you know there aren't so many symptoms. Uh, you know we do work with rheumatoid arthritis sufferers, and when there's a flare up, that's bad, right? You, you definitely don't want that. But in between, uh, you know, it's not so bad. It's a little more distant, a little further out of mind. But, you know, still making sure I take my medication every day or every week when I'm not experiencing a flare-up is going to help prevent those things when they happen. But human nature, of course, is to not do that, right? We get busy. We're doing other things, you know? I have a feeling a number of people listening to this tried to diet or lose weight or be healthier in some way over time, and you know, this is actually where I did my clinical work in endocrinology a decade ago, seeing uh, diabetes and weight management patients in the clinic at uh, Boston University Medical Center for three years. And what we see in dieting is that you know whenever we try to do it, you see we make a great start, but It doesn't last more than a few weeks or maybe a month at most. And those same factors are at play when we think about managing disease. You know, most of us who are not dealing with this might think that, well, you know, that's a life or death situation. Of course I would take my pill or measure my blood pressure, whatever it might be. But what we see from people in those situations is, you know, it's not always the thing at top of mind or maybe I don't want it to be. Maybe taking that pill every day is the thing that reminds me that I'm sick when I don't feel like it. So it gets complicated and there are a lot of different factors at play, but those are some examples.
0: Yeah, and, and so it, it, it is curious and I like I like all the, the overlap of sort of cognitive sciences and, and approaches to artificial intelligence and approaches of of where we might apply artificial intelligence for behavior change. And uh, obviously that's as you had mentioned, kind of your own background and having it begin there. And so clearly for you now, the reason why the robot exists in someone's home. As opposed to, you know, again, a red light that goes on or something like that, is to have that same kind of effect on their acknowledgement of it, for lack of a better term. I mean, we we can still imagine it's not sentient, but that, that we would have a an interaction as one might with a pet or one might with an, another person, just because of some of the anthropomorphization that's going on, and that that might encourage those actual behaviors when this when this machine can not only just look a little bit personable, but actually B, in terms of interacting a little bit personable, uh, we're coaxing out more of what we might have with a a kind friend who would remind us to do something. Is this uh, a a bit on on the right track here, Corey? Absolutely.
1: You know, there's a really basic thing, which is when someone or something
0: looks at us, we can't help but look back. It's funny. Imagine you're in a
1: crowded cocktail party, and from all the way across the room, you see someone looking in your direction. (laughs) Instantly, you can tell whether they're looking at you, looking you in the eyes,
0: or looking right past you, yep. right? The, you know, if, if you think about it mathematically, right, the,
1: the degree of change in one, you know, gaze versus another is almost non-existent, but we can tell that right away. There are only species that can do that. Try that with your dog, right? They can do it as well. Yep. And leveraging these kind of basic psychological features the way we interact with other people interact with the world are one of those building blocks that we use now a lot of it comes in the conversation and how we build up the relationship which is where the AI really comes in but what we do at Catalia Health is put all of these things together in a way that helps to create that relationship that then this robot uh, we call her maybe uh, maybe can actually create a relationship with the individual and help them manage their health better. So instead of thinking about it as a reminder app on my phone or a tool, it becomes a little more like a coach.
0: Yep, yep. Huh, interesting. And so, yeah, some people might say, well, I suppose natural language processing or, or, you know, artificial intelligence applied to this space of some kind of a conversational interface really we would just need some, some great software, you know, whether it's on a laptop or it's on a desktop or it's on your phone. Uh, hey, that's the brains. That's what's going to build a relationship with the person. That's really going to encourage behavior change. But obviously, the physical manifestation of, of where this intelligence is housed it affects the way that we receive it, which is sort of I, I think what makes me what you folks are doing a little bit unique and maybe counterintuitive to what most people might think, which is probably what you have to deal with a lot, which is just that, hey, so long as there's a reminder, we should be good.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Right? When you really think about it from the psychological perspective, or if you want to be scientific about it, do the head-to-head comparison, you know that it makes a difference when you have the hardware plus the software to create that interaction.
0: And and obviously, there's a lot of hardwares and a lot of softwares in this broad uh, kind of healthcare and medical space. Uh, when it comes to applications of machine learning or artificial intelligence uh, in health, there's buzz. The DeepMind folks, the IBM folks, are, are sort of at least stating to be knuckling down in that space. I imagine they, they are and are putting forth some ardent efforts. Uh, a guy like yourself who's really in medical pretty thoroughly and has been you know, on the clinical side and now applying technology, you're probably more bullish on some aspects of artificial intelligence machine learning in, in medicine than others. Um, what are some areas that you think in the coming five years might really make a difference where we might see some real traction in medicine?
1: Well, you pointed out a great example of one of them, which is what's happening with IBM Watson. You know, there's a number of projects going on within Watson and then across the world that are similar. And so let's uh, just separate for a second artificial intelligence from machine learning or deep learning. Right. Yeah. So machine learning is one subset of yeah. AI. And if you look around at what most people think of as AI or artificial intelligence right now, it is machine learning or deep learning. So this idea of learning something from large data sets and for a number of technical reasons having to do with both computer hardware and software, that's really taken off in the last few years. And so anywhere where you have a huge data set to learn from, the canonical example of course is search and uh, having the entire World Wide Web at your fingertips, that's a great place to apply deep learning and machine learning. And where that's applicable in healthcare is again anywhere where you have Have huge data sets. One of the areas that we're starting to see this in is in diagnosis, right? So things like what IBM Watson is doing in oncology and helping diagnose cancers and recommend treatments. I think we're going to see a lot more of that in the next few years as... Researchers and developers are able to get these data sets together in a way that we can apply machine learning to it. This is a problem that you know is definitely solvable using this kind of technology. There's a data problem in getting all that together, but that's well underway. Uh, another place where we have a lot of data in healthcare is if we think about it more from the insurance side and all the claims data that you have there. And there's actually some interesting, a little bit more esoteric, but some interesting work happening there, both in terms of how we optimize our healthcare system in general, what can we learn from all that claims data, but let's say based on claims data from a particular individual and then looking at the progression of what's happened to other people, identifying early problems that a person might have that might not have surfaced yet. So there's some very interesting things to think about In those spaces, there are a number of different companies working on those problems. It's something that uh, I think we'll see grow quite a bit in the next five years. And the other piece that uh, I think is very exciting right now is on the behavioral side. You know, Catalia Health is one of the early players in this space, but definitely not the only ones. Thinking about how we can optimize a lot of behavior-related treatments to deliver conversations or information or resources to patients that they simply can't get today because we don't have enough caregivers in most healthcare systems to provide that kind of care. So whether that's things like what we're doing around medication adherence, uh, what other companies are doing, and things like cognitive behavioral therapy. So if we think about you know, machine learning or broader AI applications of CBT to a lot of psychotherapeutic applications, we're going to see a lot more of that in the next few years as well. So I'd say those are the two biggest areas, uh, or maybe three biggest areas, if we want to separate out those yeah, first yeah. two in machine learning. Uh, that we're going to see a lot of interesting things coming out in the next five years.
0: I, I suppose glad simply because I, you know, like most people, I have folks close to me who who uh, could likely use uh, better diagnostic and 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 uh, you know treatment technologies and and have conditions where that would be sort of pertinent today. Um, but at the same time, I know that there's so many challenges related uh, to that um, in terms of. Uh, you know one of them that you brought up, which is um, how do we sort this information so that we can you know run it all through algorithms so that we can really you know make sense of it in some uh you know coherent collective way. I imagine medical records x years back were probably all paper, and uh, medical records you know in a lesser time going backwards are are probably collected in ways that are sort of desperate where uh, whether it's in in different counties or different installations or different versions of the technology, we have all kinds of different things being tracked, probably tracked in different ways you know dates are probably sorted and and numbered in some different odd fashion uh and and getting all that in line brings us to sort of the the problem that you know the data scientists of the world are are buried in all day, which is that you know, 70% of their time is cleaning this stuff. So much of it to clean. How is progress being made there? You know, to be honest, I'm a little bit less familiar with the details of what's
1: happening there, but it's another place where we're actually applying machine learning and some interesting techniques, uh, you know, to give one example that everyone listening to this is familiar with you know how many times in the last week have you had to fill out one of those little captcha things right uh you know show some kind of jumbled picture on the screen and type in the letters or numbers that you see there well hey that could be a part of an old medical record that's being digitized by each and every one of us (laughs) 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 applying machine learning to that right (laughs) doing better automated uh, reading of uh, scanned records, uh, better cleaning up, or if you just think about you know the fact that over the last fifteen to twenty years in the U.S. we've digitized most of healthcare. Thank goodness. So all new records, exactly. Thank goodness. Uh, so all new records are being put in in some digital format. Now that doesn't solve all of the problem, but it certainly makes it a lot easier. And you know, having all of the data would be great, but just having bigger and bigger sets of data goes a long way toward trying to improve our algorithms and if you think about the the deep learning or the machine learning approach that's exactly what we need now at the same time there's a lot of stuff going on in other areas of artificial intelligence if you look at what we're doing at katalia health you know very little of what we're doing is in the machine learning space we use a lot of other types of ai to create the algorithms and the interactions. so there's innovation going on all over the place uh, which is part of what makes it so exciting is how much of that is being applied to healthcare
0: today. Yeah, tons. And you had mentioned again in kind of the diagnostic space with some of of Watson's work. If you were to take a guess here as to where or how that might roll out, to the best of my knowledge, there is some limited licensing, and you may you may or may not know a little bit more than I in this domain, Corey. There there's some limited licensing of the data from particular hospitals, you know, going back X number of decades that has been trained enough in specific domains, you mentioned oncology, obviously a pretty big focus area, so that other hospitals could potentially license that data, these these trained algorithms, in order to diagnose or suggest treatments in, in ways that would be backed by all those various records and and calibrated to the person and their circumstance. Is that kind of licensing of these bigger algorithms to individual hospitals likely to be how that'll sort of gradually roll out? I know the economics of selling to hospitals is kind of a tough game. I don't know if you have any idea of where and how we might start to see more of those kind of diagnostic and prescriptive tools sort of eking their way into hospital life?
1: Well, I think there are a number of things that are happening. This starts to get more into the business side of it. One thing that excites me about third parties doing this, whether it be a small startup company or whether it be IBM Watson, is having that taking place Outside of the hospital, in other words, getting data across a lot of different hospitals or healthcare systems or government uh, medical systems, you know a lot of different entities putting all of that data together so you can learn across larger sets and then use the resulting intelligence, let's say, that comes out of that to sell back to the hospital to be able to do better diagnosis on their patients is, to me, very exciting as opposed to one hospital learning over their data set, you know, the biggest hospital in the world or the biggest healthcare system in the world still can't compare to an entity that's compiling this across many hospitals and healthcare systems. So that's why I think one of the trends that we see uh, that's certainly not going to be the only thing happening on the business side. You're going to have entities that want to retain proprietary data. Yep. I think yep. in the long term, this aggregation of data is what's more likely to win out.
0: Huh, interesting. And it, well, I guess there's a lot of people who would cross their fingers that you are right about that, Corey. I think that, again, the economics are wild, and there's probably going to be a hospital where they wouldn't see themselves as sort of impeding. They probably don't see themselves as, as, you know, again, being evil actors in this space by saying, okay, well, we could license it and make some bucks for our hospital here by rolling this out to other hospitals, I suppose. The bigger game, though, as you had mentioned, which might be quite inevitable, is a company, small or large, pooling from everywhere and and being able to bring that together. Whether or not that'll become part of our day-to-day experience in the healthcare system in the next five years, I guess we'll have to live and see that one, Corey. But I'm crossing my fingers that something like that will manifest. Uh, So I appreciate you being able to share your perspectives with us. That's all the time we have today, Corey, but it's been great having you here on Tech Emergence.
1: Thanks so much for having me. This was great.
0: That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com, where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category, as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.